Welcome to the Grace Story Podcast, where we introduce you to interesting people and their inspiring stories. From Grace professors, current students, and distinguished alumni, to special guests and speakers on our campus. You can meet new people and hear how they are impacting the world around them. This podcast is recorded and produced at Grace College and Seminary, located on the shores of Winona Lake in the great state of Indiana. This is the Grace Story Podcast. Today on the podcast, we have Tim Clydesdale. Tim is vice provost and a professor of sociology at the College of New Jersey. A first-generation college student, he earned his BA at Wheaton College and PhD at Princeton University. He's an expert in young adulthood, higher ed, and American religion. Clydesdale's been invited to share his research at more than 60 colleges, universities, and scholarly conferences around the globe, including Grace College and Seminary over the last few days. Clydesdale is the author of multiple books, including The First Year Out, Understanding American Teens After High School, The Purposeful Purposeful Graduate, Why Colleges Must Talk to Students About Vocation, and with co-author Kathleen Garcia Foley, The 20-Something Soul, Understanding the Religious and Secular Lives of American Young Adults. Tim, thank you for being here on our campus. Drew, thanks for having me. I'm delighted to get a chance to talk with you more. Well, one of the things that's interesting is you, uh, while not being a graduate of Grace, have many various connections and have been here to Winona Lake before. I have. Um, I, I came regularly, probably worked out at times to four times a year uh, because I was the youngest of five. So my eldest brother attended here and uh, we would all pile into the family station wagon and drive across the Pennsylvania Turnpike and then across the Ohio Turnpike and then in Indiana. And I was just riding in the back without a seatbelt because that wasn't <laughs> things that people did back then and, and, uh, and, and rode out here and we would drop them off and then we'd ride back and then we'd come back and get them later. Um, and uh, so uh, came out many times for uh, both my eldest brother, Joe, who graduated from here, and uh, another brother, the middle of the five, uh, Stephen, who graduated from here as well. Wow. that's uh, And you've stayed connected through some nephews that have ended up here as well. So uh, familiar with who Grace College is, which we appreciate that you've brought your knowledge and an understanding of who we are as a college together um, in some of your trainings, both with students, faculty, and our campus these uh, these last 24 hours. So thank you. Absolutely. It's, it's fun to come to a place that the last time I was at, I was 12 uh, huh. when I was here, but to, to now come and, and, and be here uh, at this point is very exciting. I uh, first would be interested in just knowing, how did you get into this vein of research? What was the, the story that, that got you here into studying this particular topic? That's a great question. So um, on the one level, um, I began working um, and just want to understand a little bit more about what the college experience was like because um, I finished my PhD and I was at the time a professor at Gordon College and with, uh, without uh, additional resources in abundance, what do, what do uh, you know, social scientists have at their disposal? Um, our college students. So um, I started to inter- uh, interview them and, and, and talk to them and, and uh, try to get a sense of that. So that led ultimately to become what was, um, what was my first book, The First Year Out, Understanding um, American Teens After High School. Just uh, how do people make that transition? 
Um, and then I guess I've just kind of continued up the um, up up the uh, life cycle by then in the purposeful graduate, looking at people during college and after college, and then uh, moving to the whole twenty somethings with the twenty something soul. So I've just really been zeroed in on about the eighteen to twenty nine year old time mm. frame and what's kind of going on uh, sociologically and culturally. I wanted to ask a little bit about the purposeful graduate, and then uh, talk about your your most recent book as well. But um, what were some of the initial questions you were trying to answer in in that work, the purposeful graduate? So the purposeful graduate really um, was a uh, program evaluation um, of a very very large grant initiative by the Lilly Endowment called the Programs for the Theological Exploration of Vocation, and they had invested by the time they were done. Um, uh, a quarter billion dollars into this effort on 88 different um, campuses across the United States. And they wanted to find out, in a sense, um, did it work? Um, in what ways did it work? And what was the impact of it? Now, they were pretty convinced, and, and grant people tend to be, because all they ever get is the good news and the good reports, that it was, it was effective. Um, but I was now coming in as the outsider. And they approached me about this. I was a little nervous because I really wasn't sure that this was going to be nearly as effective as they thought it was going to be. Um, and we had some conversation about, well, what if this turns out to have been a colossal waste of money? Um, and they said, well, in that case, you don't have to write a book about it. I said, okay, well, that's good to know. <laughs> and besides, who would want to read that book anyhow? Um, and uh, so it was really um, after I wrote the first book and, and became known to some of the folks at the Lilly Endowment, they approached me and they said, we would like you to to do this sort of evaluation because they knew I had the sort of research skills to do it and and the the focus and interest in uh, young adults, but that I also understood um, the vocation element of mm. it. That as someone who was uh, a Christian, as someone who had you know training in Bible, as at least at the bachelor's level, I I understood that aspect of thing. I wasn't coming in from a uh, alien sort of perspective, but as someone who would be uh, sympathetic, I guess. Mm. Wow, the the term even purposeful graduate. Uh, in in your framework, how would you define that term, or even what would a purposeful graduate look like? Um, good question. So one of the things, of course, is this initiative was about engaging vocation um, in undergraduate education or calling. But a number of the places, um, those words were too religious. Because uh, keep in mind, the campuses that received these grants were of many, many different types, some of whom had only historic association with, uh, with, with faith anymore. And so they wanted a word, I think, and I was trying to go for a word that would draw a wider readership. So ultimately, I, w I went with purpose because purpose is more neutral. But then to answer you your question. You like purpose-driven life. Did purpose, you think about yeah, that you know, one that, Yeah, I did think about that one, and uh, no. I <laughs> but uh, so, so a purposeful graduate um, is, is someone in my mind that has now spent um, their, their years of undergraduate education uh, with, um, they don't always have some set thing that they're doing for certain. They have, they not be settled on what it is that they're going to be doing with their lives, but they have explored many options and they have some questions in front of them about where they're going and what matters to them and what they hope to kind of accomplish. So they have, um, they have thought about what their, um, their values are and what their beliefs are. They've thought about what, um, uh, what the good life is for them and for others around them. They thought about, um, uh, you know, do they have an obligation to other people? What obligation uh, might that look like? How might they express it? 
Um, and they've also spent time in communities of various types, in, um, in experiences that have been helped them get closer to being able to answer that question. Internships are a wonderful thing for students when they can get that worked out. Service opportunities are, are good. Community engagement of different forms. All these things that get people out of the bubble of the campus and into other places are so, so valuable. So a purposeful graduate is someone who has really kind of taken the reins of their own education and, and uh, you know, they've mounted the horse, mm-hmm. right? Um, and, and they're ready to go. Um, and although they, they don't know, they, they may not, you know, have the exact route they're going, but they, they know the direction they're heading into and they know why they're doing it and they know what they're looking for. And they keep um, working on that um, throughout their 20s as they, as they settle and construct and build their adult lives. Mm-hmm. As we uh, have heard you talk about this, um, for me, right, it's been reflective of my own experience. Like, what was my college experience like and how did it align or not align with what a purposeful graduate looks like? How about for you? I mean, you're in the you're in the midst of doing all this research and understanding. And then, you know, as you reflect back on your own life and your college years, were you a purposeful graduate? And, and do you feel like, oh, you know, if I would have gone back, I would have done this a little bit differently than I did. But yes, you know, it just reflect mm-hmm. on your own experience as you've gone through and done this research. Yeah, reflecting on my own experience, of course, is is kind of uh, a natural sort of side effect of, of this. Uh, and that happened for all the uh, faculty and staff and uh, that were engaged in these programs. When they realized they're going to ask students to be engaging in, you know, what is a life of meaning and purpose, um, they, they realize they have to know that for themselves. And so it definitely leads to reflection. I mean, I... I think about how my my whole presumption throughout my uh, my college education was that I was going to be a pastor, um, so that was the Bible major that I had at Wheaton. Um, but I also uh, was interested, you know, in people. Um, and at one point, I was thinking more psychology, but one course in psychology cured me of that. Um, <laughs> and uh, and then I got to sociology, and I was like, oh my goodness, here's the people, here's social class, here's race, here's all this stuff that um, is helping me make sense of kind of what's what's kind of going on during this time. Um, and so I uh, took advantage of opportunities to, uh, to uh, work on research projects with some of the faculty who were in the mm-hmm. um, in the sociology department. I also had spent one summer in a ministry internship. I was always exploring that. And it was really a, a number of things. Um, all the way through and until I graduated, I was thinking I was going to seminary. Meanwhile, within like one or two courses, the sociology faculty were unanimous saying to me, you really need to get a PhD in sociology. I'm like, yeah, yeah, that sounds really great, but I, I'm going to be a pastor. Thank you for that. Um, so make long story short, I, I did finish college. I graduated. I was, uh, had applied to seminary, had been accepted in seminary, but I was realizing, one, the debt level I would have and my interest in urban ministry would make me unaffordable to any congregation um, that I would really want to serve, and that led to a time of, I'm, not, oh, I'm wondering what I should do. And I was at the same time working in a hospital doing data analysis um, and running numbers. And of course, they're saying to me, you know, you're really good at this. You should consider a PhD um, in this sort of work. And I was like, oh, I don't know about that. And then, you know, my uh, mentors uh, from sociology never let up on me. And so they invited me. Um, there was a guest speaker from Princeton University who came to Wheaton uh, to speak. And they, they had me come and meet him and go out to dinner, um, sat me right across from him. And a very soft-spoken gentleman by the name of Robert Wuth now is one of America's foremost scholars of American religion. And um, after he listened to me, he said, well, you know, I would really love to see an application from you. 
Um, and so I, you know, for me, I was like, all right, well, I guess I'll submit one. You know, <laughs> it's pretty clear, and I did it. And then I got accepted, and I got a, you know, a full ride fellowship and all that. And I thought, all right, well, that seems pretty clear, Lord. This is what you want me to do. And so that was that was really how I got there. But it, my whole college years, I was not thinking PhD. I was not thinking sociology at all. That mm. really kind of now other people saw it in me. That was the that was the neat thing. And so there's that way in which that mentorship is so important. They saw it in me. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, one of my best friends is the pastor of my church right now, and we often joke together, and, and he has said um, that, uh, or I've said to him that I, I could be a pastor if I could give grades to the parishioners every quarter on how they were doing. Uh, I don't know. The enthusiasm is a little low. We're going to go down yeah, on a B minus, yeah. right? It's just I'm, I'm too, um, you know, evaluative. It just, it just, it's not the right place for me. So, you know, God knew what he was doing um, and, and sent me in, a, in, in the right direction. But uh, yeah, so that's a, that's a long roundabout answer to your, your question. Well, that's a great way to just express even what some of the, the tenets are of your book about mentorship, about calling being less about a specific job and more about a, a general purpose. And then and then God brings opportunity. I mean, we would call that sovereignty into mm-hmm. our lives to direct us into the path in which he wants to take us and where we can make the greatest difference for his, his honor and glory. And uh, yeah, I think of my own story, and I, I also was um, interested in the pastorate and was a communication arts major, like talking to people and mm-hmm. leadership and, and vision and those. But I wasn't quite sure where that ended up, and I realized if I went into the pastorate, I'd care how much people gave and how many people showed up, and that's not the heart of a pastor. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, God led me and guided me um, with a sense of purpose, uh, generally speaking, um, down paths that provided mentors who who eventually got me where you know I needed to be and where God wanted me to be. That's mm-hmm. a, it's a it's a good good way to think about um, how how best to direct our lives. And for these students, right, uh, many of them will experience not only a multitude of jobs, but probably a multitude of industry experiences when it comes to the actual work they're going to do. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, people uh, people's tenure in companies um, changes at a very rapid rate, and and we've largely moved away from the idea of, of the company job, right? Companies have moved away from it in part because the longer you stay there, the more your income is, the more it's likely for them to want to dismiss you and hire someone half your age to come in and, and do the job for half the salary. And so uh, companies don't have that same sense of we want to hire people and we're going to keep them for life. And you have to really approach your career as more of like an uh, you know an independent contractor. Even mm. if you're not an independent contractor, it's best to kind of think that way about your employment at this point, because that's how a lot of organizations are thinking about you. Um, and, and so there is this level where people do move in out of a number of different fields. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about your, your other book, most recent book, The 20-Something Soul. And you know, sometimes it's easy for us to, you know, uh, college kids these days, you know, uh, kind of one of those comments. Um, but you have a very different view of how you've looked at college students. I mean, what are some of the, the positives you see um, in this generation uh, that we should just be really excited about? Some of the positives that I see on, on, on the one is um, young people today don't just inherit 
uh, a status or inherit things. They, they want to own it for themselves. So if they are a person of faith, they have been pretty intentional about choosing that and maintaining that identity and maintaining that sort of, you know, spirituality. It's not something that they do just because their parents did it. They know they have the freedom to choose other things, and, uh, and they will. Um, so I think that's one of the things to, to appreciate. I think another thing for folks to appreciate is, is just that, you know, um, there are lots of, you know, lots of uh, young people today who take faith very seriously and who take living very seriously. So one of the things that I've, I've been able to do is, is uh, interview people from across a range of religious traditions, um, uh, the various Protestant traditions as well as Catholic traditions, as well as other religious traditions and those who say they have no religious. Um, and the one thing that I have found is that there is a, there's a, a subset um, of folks who are actually very mindful about their lives and, and live with intentionality. It is not the majority of, of young adults, but there is this subset who uh, live uh, what Socrates would call an examined life. And as they do so, they're very thoughtful about the way they live and what, they, um, uh, what, what really matters to them in their mm -hmm. lives. Many who will listen to this might be parents, might be uh, alumni. Um, what are the best ways that we can engage college students and come alongside them as they, they figure out um, their vocation or their calling? That's a great um, question, and I think the answer is ultimately very simple, but it's very powerful. You need to tell your vocation story. You need to let... Um, college students know what you did and how you kind of thought through things and what directions you took and how you made your decisions and what you thought was going to happen, but then this happened, um, and tell the whole arc of your story. Because um, one of the things we need to correct that a lot of young people have, uh, they subscribe to something I call the myth of linearity, which is mm. that you have this kind of vision, it's say like seven or eight years old, of what you're going to be when you grow up, and then you just follow the straight line through high school and college and grad school and on to that, and, and boom, you arrive. And that's so not uh, true. The vast majority of people have a variety of things. They, they try different things. People, uh, most people are not even working in the fields for which their undergraduate training was in or working in other fields, and yet they find their undergraduate experience was incredibly valuable to them even as they are working in different fields and it helped prepare and train them. So mm -hmm. the key is to tell your story and then to facilitate other people telling their stories and then in that to get um, young people to share their stories and, and share them with each other, but also share them with you. And I think what's, what's nice about stories is that I think we're, I think we're just hardwired to be engaged by someone's story because there's a beginning, there's a middle, there's an end, there's a plot line. And even if it's a story that, that ends in a very different way than it would for us, we still find the story interesting. So it's a, it's a great entry-level way to engage people in, in, in a good conversation. Mm. Adam Mentor once said, give them, a, give them a point for their head and a story for their heart. Mm. And, and you do that as a researcher, obviously, but um, to see how important story is to the impact we can make. Um, one of the things I love that you said in chapel today and, and got a chuckle from students is uh, when you talked about vocation is not that thing you're going to do someday, um, but it's the thing you're doing today. 
uh, that mm-hmm. like you're, you're working on your vocation now as a student. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe the best thing you can do today is like do your homework and pay attention in class and not maybe <laughs> worry less about what job am I going to have or, you know, but but like what's today involved. Uh, that's probably true for all of us, right? Um, right. So any insights you'd say for, for all of us that you've kind of picked up in this study that you'd say, you know, in this generation, not just this generation, but this world we live in right now, as we think about our calling and vocation, you know, here's some practical tips. Some practical tips is, um, is, is being just present in, um, in, in, in the uh, occupations you're in, in the families you're in, thinking about what are the ways in which I can love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and my neighbors and myself. What are the things I can do right now that uh, the needs that are in front of me that I can serve? What are the things that, that God has put me in right now that I can do and perform to the best of my ability? We do tend to be future-oriented. I especially, I think this is maybe more temperament, and so now kind of venturing out in more into the area of psychology, my temperament is to be very future-oriented, to think about, you know, three, four, five years down the road and, and beyond. Um, other people are much more present-oriented, but um, that being future-oriented, though, can lead me to spend so much time thinking about the future, I'm not focusing on the very real thing that's right in front of me that I need to be doing. So in chapel today, I talked about, you know, don't be sitting there thinking about, gosh, what should I, you know, where should I go to graduate school when you have a unresolved conflict with your roommate that you need to sort through? Mm-hmm. That's that's where you need to be focused on right now. That relationship is real. God cares about it. And you need to get things worked out between the two of you. Similarly, you're blessed to be in this place right now that is rich with resources and people. Um, are you maximizing uh, what you can there? Are you are you talking with your, your professors? Are you are you taking this, uh, the readings you know, carefully and reading and, and, and studying to the best of your ability. So I really think it's that being present. And so for even beyond the college years, you know, there's a lot of things, I, you know, I work in academic administration as, as do you. And so, you know, you're always kind of thinking about, you know, positioning the institution for the next five to 10 years. And that is kind of part of our job. But there's also the stuff you need to do right now. You need to care for the people outside your door who are making sure that this is uh, everything is kind of working right and your schedule's working the way it should. You need to, you know, demonstrate to the students and to the faculty that you understand them and you care about them and you want them to, to succeed and thrive. And so just doing the things every day to not to not only be future oriented, but just really care about the people who uh, God's put right in front of you on this day um, to to love uh, love and, and care about. That's so good. Um, that is, is a really helpful, practical advice. Um, so I'm going to ask for more helpful, practical advice and very selfishly. Uh, so I've got three boys, ages 11, 9, and 7. Mm. And uh, a lot of the alumni who may listen have younger kids as well. And, you know, even now I'm starting to see, like, what are my kids interested in? And um, how do you think about even positioning your children who may be elementary, junior high, early high school age, um, for what God may have for them in the future? Um, I think that's uh, a great question. I'd say the first thing is making sure that you yourself are um, doing what God wants you to do now and for the future. Um, uh, the, the, it's very hard to 
teach didactically children about this sort of thing, it's very easy to show them. So more caught than taught. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so the discipleship is something that you know um, they need to see in you, and they need to see the genuineness of it um, because uh, your children know your flaws probably better than you know them yourself, um, and they can see all the hypocrisies. So and and that's inherent. We're fallen people. We are going to be always falling short of things, but there still should be something genuine and real and powerful, and that's of course what they're going to take forward. As they think, as you think about, um, you know, uh, the ways in which you can uh, foster and facilitate, I would just say, can you think about ways to kind of connect them with others um, who who would be interested in the same sorts of things? If you've got a, you know, a daughter that's interested in astronomy, is there a local, you know, astronomy club that you could connect uh, your daughter with and go there, and and people could talk about something like that? Or um, is there, um, you know? some type of uh, uh, a person who's an astronomer that you could even just arrange for that for, uh, for her to have a conversation with. Um, could you call up, you know, um, the Grace College Science Department? <laughs> Is there an astronomy, you know, maybe, you know, 15 minute on a Zoom call? I mean, it's amazing what sort of things could just, these things could be so pivotal. And I talked about this when I was sharing with the faculty. A lot of times, we do this advising as faculty and we say something and it might be the 25th time we've shared this story, but the student is hearing it for the first time and it's so powerful for them, they walk away with their lives changed from that story and, and we're on to the next thing already and we don't realize the impact of it. But I would just say trying to connect them with the um, – the, the the well the great circle of witnesses right yeah, yeah exactly um, uh, for uh, 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 on all sorts of things that that they could then kind of explore um, these things and have conversations with others so many people you know just are more than happy to talk to uh, young people about things that they're interested in it's rare you'll find someone who's going to slam the door they're going to be typically happy to. To, to share what time they, they can. Absolutely. I told students uh, that uh, a couple days ago. I said, look, there are people who will answer your email before they answer my email because investing in you is much more valuable to them mm. than spending time with me. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, find those mentors who can give you 15 minutes of their time to just speak into mm. a couple questions you have. Yeah. What a great thing. Uh, what are you thinking about next? Now, this doesn't have to be a big research project or anything, but just sort of kind of as you think about uh, the work you've done, sort of what's what's on your mind right now? What things are going on in the world? What are you what are you mm. some topics that are just kind of out there that you're interested in right now? Um, yeah, there's a couple things that, you know, on the, on the one hand, now I've been in this role for three and a half years. And so I'm kind of thinking about, you know, what is this something now to continue to do? Do um, I want to explore um, other sorts of positions or? That's, that's in, in my mind. On the other hand, I remain very much a scholar, and there's a couple projects that I've, I've thought about. One is I'm just kind of struck. I'm not an athlete at all. Um, I have an older brother who'd be quick to, to uh, you know, <laughs> say the safest place to be was wherever I was aiming the ball. Um, so, uh, But I'm, I'm fascinated by religion and sports. And then sport as religion. So I'm struck ah. by the ways in which. So I'm thinking about like the um, like the this uh, the SEC and these really big football um, teams down in the South, and, and that pro can this consistently produce people like a Tim Tebow, um, who comes out. And I mean, so it's, it's almost like the coach is practically like a pastor, right? Yeah. Um, and yet at the same time, on those campuses, football is like a religion. Yeah. 
right? And so there's all this interesting stuff kind of going on here. And now at this point, the football players are paid um, and uh, and can monetize um, their their status. So that's kind of going on. So you've got this this uh, clash of of religion and sport and commerce and education somewhere in there. They're also students supposed mm-hmm. to be getting an mm-hmm. education, right? Um, and uh, and then looking at, at differences um, by gender and, and, and team. So I think there's a lot of stuff there that's yeah. really interesting that, that kind of um, intrigues me, and I've been thinking about that as a possible project. Um, and then the last one is I just uh, – my best friend um, – back home is a chaplain at something called Whosoever Gospel Mission in Philadelphia. This is a mission that's been around since 1892. Um, the stories that he tells of the folks that kind of come in, um, the, the ways, uh, the, the, the rough and difficult lives, the addictions they've had, the hurt that they've had, the way they've been abused, the way they have um, uh, spent time sometime in, in, in jail and been released and, and folks trying to put their lives back together. It's a fascinating place. Mm. It's um, the, the needs at times are overwhelming. The power of addiction is so incredibly high. The types of addictions people have are, are potent. And so I'm just really interested. It could be fun just to spend some time and just you know follow that mission, follow some of the men that are kind of going through it. Who is it that makes it through and comes out the other side, you know, uh, and able to kind of relaunch kind of uh, a life that is stable and, and secure and re-engage with family? Who doesn't make it? What differentiates that? So that's another one that's just kind of been intriguing me. So quite a different kind of project. And um, but those are some things. Both I've got. fascinating. Yeah. That's, that's, thank you for sharing that. I appreciate it. Um, so certainly if folks want to learn more, they can get the books on Amazon or wherever books are found. What's other ways that they can connect with you and follow the work you're doing? Well, that's a great question. I don't do social media. I'm just old enough to not do that. <laughs> I don't I don't tweet or any of that. I do have a website, and you can find some other articles there um, and, uh, and, and some of the other things. Um, but, uh, you know, if, if someone is really interested to learn more, they – shoot me an email. I, I pay attention to email and I'll, re- I'll respond. Thank you. Well, thank you for sharing some of your wisdom in this podcast and with our campus today. Thank you for having me, Drew. And thank you for being here today to listen to the Grace Story podcast. We would love it if you would rate and share this wherever podcasts are found. And thank you to our producer, Rick Neer, for his work today. And may you have your best Grace Story today.